In this episode, there are references to sexual, mental, and or physical abuse and could trigger some listeners. Please switch off now if you think this episode could be upsetting. The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. Hope you've had another great week. Uh, This week I need to get straight into it because I've got someone pretty famous here in Australia and uh, he was a contestant on Big Brother in 2006. He's just been on the 21st anniversary as a current Big Brother housemate and he's the program manager and a lot of other things at Rough Track which helps keep kids alive and out of prison. And I think you also do some work around suicide as well. But let me introduce him. It's Dave Graham. Everybody will probably know him in Australia as Farmer Dave. And sorry, there won't be there won't be any, um, what do you call it, um, where we give something away because I just want to talk a little bit about this year's Big Brother. So if you're watching it in the UK or America, you don't have to worry. There's no, I can't remember what the word's called. What's the word I'm looking for, Dave? Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers, no spoilers. This is a spoil-free zone, yes. <laughs> now, g'day, thanks for having me on. And um, the reason I'm in a bus is because I've just dropped all the, the kids off and because uh, I do the, the bus run as well. We um, we drop all the, the kids that uh, that can't get to Rough Track. We um, have a, an hour-and-a-half bus run that goes through our community and drops them all off. So, wow. Yeah. Well, look, Dave, I mean, I was really excited when you said, yes, you'd come on because I've been watching this year's Big Brother. Unfortunately, I didn't watch it in 2006. I watched highlights, but this one had me glued to the TV because it's old cast and new cast and you are sensational in it. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I think you bring the compassion and kindness when some of the other contestants on there, I mean, I was going to ask you, how do you feel when it's uh, time for eviction and you know everybody's talking behind your back? Um, look, uh, for those that don't know, um, I probably couldn't go anywhere for about two years uh, after my first intimate brother because it was such a massive show. Um the vast majority of Australians saw the show, uh, you know, it was wall to wall big brother back then. This is 16 years ago. So I couldn't go anywhere <clears throat> without being mobbed for, for literally two years. So wow. I'm used to people just talking about me around the track for the whole 15 years. I go anywhere and people are always like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that didn't phase me. But the biggest thing I suppose is I'm really comfortable in my own skin. Like I don't have anything to prove to anyone. I did a lot of, um, pretty major stuff when I was in my early 20s and, you know, big political uh, stuff, big vulnerability stuff um, at a very young age. So here I am at 42, very, very comfortable in my skin. So nothing phased me um, in this house with however many hundred cameras uh, at all. And, you know, when you've got nothing to prove, you've got nothing to lose and you just be yourself. Well, I think that came across because you were so calm and almost unfazed when uh, an eviction came up, even when you've been put up for eviction. You know, the other guys are scrambling around trying to make sure they've got votes and you're sort of just sitting back, having your coffee, talking to Reggie, not really phased about what's happening. Look, if if you've got to convince someone of something, you haven't done your your, uh, prior preparation, have you? And 
when you get on a bit in life, it's prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. You've got to lay the work, you've got to have strong foundations, and you've got to be consistent and persistent. Whereas if you're cramming for an exam the night before the exam, you're not going to pass the exam. No, no, no. And so, you know, it's, uh, I think it comes with age, but it comes with experience, and, uh, but it also comes with reality. I mean, what was what was on the wall in every room in my parents' homestead um, is uh, that amazing prayer, which is, uh, and it's just gone from my head because I've been doing hardcore bodybuilding with the kids all day, climb <laughs> out the walls with pegboards. Um, uh, the prayer of serenity, it is. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, the one that they, they use for AA, isn't it? I think it's it's kind of used for everyone and I think anyone to get through life and that is um, understanding the difference between things you can change and things you can't change and having yeah. the wisdom to know the difference. And if I can't change something, I am not going to spend 10 seconds of my life worrying about if I can't change it. Yeah. If I can change it I'm going to damn well do something about it. So, look, um, that's just kind of how I live my life. And uh, thanks to my mum for really ramming that home by having it silently on the wall all around our home set as a kid. Well, look, that's a brilliant outlook to have. I mean, I guess if a lot more people could do that sort of thing, uh, everybody would be a lot less anxious and a lot happier. Yeah. And I think that's what came through on Big Brother. You know, you were really happy. We haven't seen the final yet and uh, I'm not going to say if you're in or out because at the moment you're still in and that's really good. And, and the reason I'm talking to Dave while uh, Big Brother is still on in Australia is because it was pre-recorded, so we're not giving anything away there. So how did you find this year's Big Brother compared to when you did it 16 years ago? <sighs> Look, a lot of stuff was easier because I had been in the situation before. So it's kind of like putting on an old pair of boots. Yeah. You're comfortable. You remember them. Um, but, you know, things are different. You know, they may have been uh, full up of a few redback spiders, um, but they still feel feel comfortable. And, look, the biggest thing is I'm comfortable with my own skin. When I went in last time, look, it was national front page news for the whole time that I was in there. The Prime Minister came on board and got involved with the, the whole airing of the, the series. Um, and remember, it was it was available 24 hours a day on people's phones. On yeah. people's there was, I think, four shows, up to four shows a day, and it was five days a week of Big Brother. It was just, it was just so massive and all pervasive. But back then, you know, I used reality TV as a platform for social change in Australia. I was sick to death of the idea that Ian, Ian Roberts had opened up the conversation about um, you can be gay and do anything. You can be gay and play uh, first league top um, footballer in this country in rugby league and you can come out as being gay. But then no one really followed through and I got the shits with that. And, um, and it was back in a time where we were still being sacked um, in your jobs for being gay, you know, there was, per, you know, Tasmania you, it was illegal to, to have gay sex and it was just a, it was just a shit show. Um, and there was, you know, over 200 laws federally um, that kept gay people as second-class citizens. I wanted to get into people's homes and have a conversation and say there is nothing to fear from a gay person. Your ancestors were afraid of left-handed people and the... Yeah horrid things that were done to left-handed kids, um, we should all be ashamed of. 
just like you should be ashamed of what you're doing to gay kids. Yeah. I mean, left-handedness and homosexuality are exactly the same thing. It affects no one at all, hardly even the person that is gay or left-handed. You know, look, <laughs> there are benefits of left-handedness. There are benefits yeah. of autism. Um, so just just get on with it. And that's why I did the uh, the first time in reality TV was just to have the conversation and go, there's nothing to be afraid of, guys. Like, we are not evil, just like the left-handed people are not evil. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not less or you're not more being gay or left-handed, right-handed or straight. So... It was a pretty big conversation to have back then. Um, so a huge weight of responsibility on my shoulders. Whereas this time around, there's no expectations. I went in there to promote what I do with young people and the idea that uh, young people are not broken people. They're just people going through the hardest period of time in their life. And when you add in poverty or you add in um, lack of parental guidance, well, then you end up with incarceration and kids in prison. And that's what I, I want to change now. But that's not much of a burden. Um, because simply I am comfortable in my own skin. And when you don't have those um, uh, big monkeys on your back, like a lot of young people do, you just get on through and sail through it. And it was pretty easy, to be honest, the game this time. Um, the challenges were really hard. Like last time we had Friday night games, lots of fun, pretty easy. But this time some of the challenges went for seven hours, you know, holding your own weight for yeah. two and a half hours um they were brutal brutal challenges and you know i'm i'm 42 year old man and i've had a really busted ass body i've done a lot of damage to my body i haven't been kind to my temple i've jumped out of airplanes smashed to the ground i've been knocked off horses right across the planet i've been smashed up by soldiers in middle east and locked up abroad um plus rolled plenty of utes motorbikes and had farm accidents so most of my body's been broken but when it comes to resilience and it comes to just forcing yourself beyond what you possibly thought you could have done, um, something that I like to do and something that I think we should all strive to do. So that's what was awesome about the house. Not just a TV show. It was definitely a challenge on a level that I think few of us get to experience. I mean, more people have climbed Mount Everest than been in the Big Brother house. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing. But uh, so how old were you when you came out on Big Brother? 26. Wow. And, and I mean, that is a huge weight of responsibility, as you're saying, at 26 to come out. And as you say, also, it was a time when uh, I guess gay people were still sort of in the closet and scared to come out because it's not like it is today, 16, 20 years on, um, mm. where we are a lot more free and open about what's going on in the community and accepting of everybody. I suppose back then there were pockets where it was absolutely fine and it was wonderful. Pockets yeah. in major cities, the eastern suburbs are the major cities. Um, whereas now there's pockets that it's not okay, you know, especially the western suburbs of some of the cities, like the western suburbs of Sydney, where uh, religiousness has, has really increased. Yeah. Yeah. Both Islamic and, and Christian faiths, as well as the Hindu faiths, have increased a lot. And therefore, that has put an extra burden on um, diverse uh, people of diverse sexual preferences. But, you know, it's it's been completely uh, flipped. Whereas you know, back in two thousand and six, it was pockets where it was fine to be gay. 
but um, but now it's just fine. Uh, I guess we came quite a long way from the first one to 2006 because I remember a report on the TV with the first Big Brother with the contestant Johnny where there was an outback pub where everybody there voted to get him out because they didn't want the gay person in the Big Brother house. So at least when you came through, you know, it had changed a little bit and I guess we're changing all the time and it's just whether we've got the patience to, to just let it unroll naturally or whether we need to keep pushing at it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it will always be an issue. There will always be someone who will say, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you bumping me all the time? Well, it's because I'm left-handed. Well, that's annoying. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. left-handed people have to deal with it. Gay people have to deal with it. We've just got to work around it and go, well, let's swap chairs. If, if that's, that's bumping you, let's swap chairs. Yeah. Wow. I, I just love the way you think. It's uh, That's why I wanted you on the podcast because I, I just think you've done so many great things. So do you want to talk a little bit? So when you had your accident with the plane, what happened there? Because before we started, you were telling me that you were training dogs. So, And I think that's really interesting what you were doing because I, I saw one of your videos on social media last week with you and your dog at a, a dog show somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, who knows what I'm doing and where I'm doing. <laughs> I often always have. Um, yes, I was uh, doing urban search and rescue and we we're doing some training exercises uh, in the Lockyer Valley just west of Brisbane. And um, I just wasn't comfortable with uh, with the setup of the, the training day. There was just a lot of things that I wasn't cool with and I just kept uh, avoiding the jumps and just wasn't comfortable with... Um, with the staffing situation, I wasn't com- comfortable with a lot of stuff, uh, but I'll just leave it at that. I, I got told by my commander that I had to get I had to get up on the plane and I had to start jumping because I needed to get however many fourteen jumps in in that twenty uh, four hour period um, to get to the standard that was required. Um, so I finally, beyond everything that was inside me, got it jumped up in the plane, and then of course. Yeah, badass crash, um, 13,000 feet, parachute didn't work. But, of course, the human body from that height doesn't bounce. And um, But uh, miraculously, my spine didn't break, but everything else did. Yeah, because I remember in this season of Big Brother, you were doing one of the challenges and you said, oh, it was the one where you had to climb up and, uh, and, and you throw like- the ball. And you I- said, you know, this was a major thing because you hadn't been up this high before. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, obviously I used to do it for a living, jumping out of planes, but um, and training dogs to be comfortable with the concept. But uh, but yeah, look, just the the fear and anxiety around because I was I was a year in a wheelchair, and um, and then I, you know, got out of the wheelchair, and then three months after that, ran a marathon because I don't like the idea of ever losing my freedom, and and being in a wheelchair is a lot of loss of freedom. Um, I never wanted to push my body that way again by injuring it and then ending up back in hospital because yeah. uh, look, I lost something like 40% of my, my body weight because I was ashamed that people had to take me to the toilet, you know, for a year, yeah. people literally lift me and take me to the toilet and it was very shameful. So I just stopped eating. Um, so there's a lot of, there was a lot of anxiety around me ever damaging my, my body again. But, you know, doing those challenges on big brother, I learned that it's actually okay to push yourself again. Dave, yeah. you- going to end up flat on the back you're not going to end up in a wheelchair you can actually have fun again oh amazing amazing um well look let's talk a little bit about your current work at rough track 
um, mm. where you're uh, a, a man of many talents there. You do lots of different, wear lots of different hats. So tell mm. us a bit about what it is and what you're hoping to achieve from doing the programs you do. Yeah, so um, we've got three jobs. We've got three, three straightforward jobs. One is we keep kids alive. Um, doesn't always work. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of our kids um, did take his own life. Um, and, you know, I've got another one that's a bit touch and go today because his, his dad took his life a couple of days ago. So, wow. no, it's big stream. So one job is to take, keep the kids alive, and it's not always that easy. But we bloody will do our best. Um, the second is to keep kids out of prison. And um, we've had a pretty good track record of that. I mean, nearly all the kids that come to us, they're on a direct path to early death or prison. Yeah. That's it. Now, our job is to make sure that they're, we keep them alive, we keep them out of prison. And our last job is to give them skills for a secure future, to break all those cycles that got them in that place in the first place. Um, because all of us are teenagers and we all make stupid mistakes. But yep. when you add in the issues that these kids deal with, through absolutely no fault of their own, um, they end up on a direct path to uh, early death and incarceration. And the simple fact is, in Australia, 97% of kids that are in lockup or spend any time in juvenile detention will end up in, in prison as adults. I mean, how can we condemn these kids because of no fault of their own, making a few poor choices to yeah. a life behind bars as adults. I mean, we've got a small window in their teenage years when they're violent or they're vulnerable to get them on the right path. And then we've got a great citizen of a country and it's 97% guaranteed that they'll be put in jail as, as adults. I mean, that's a horrendous statistic. We only have 80% of kids go through to grade 12, yeah. you know. So we've got to do something about it and rough track does something about it. It's a solution that's uh, that's a flexible safety net that's right around the kid to do whatever is required to bounce them back up through the cracks that they've fallen through. And we do it a whole different gamut of um, of ways. We we do whatever it takes, however long it takes. And uh, it starts off with a dog. The kids turn up and we've got 28 dogs and they bond with a dog and that's their dog for their time in the program. Be their time in the program a 10-week uh, foundation or 10 years, whatever it takes. That's their dog that they bond with and they learn respect. They learn responsibility. They learn trust. We know that dogs, they don't talk much, but they listen a lot. And when you're a 14-year-old who may have been raped a heck of a lot by family members, yeah. you don't have parents at all and you've just been chucked from here to there or, or if you're locked in a cage of care or you're in a hotel and You've got government workers with you all the time. All you need is to be heard. And that's what the dogs do. They yeah. listen a yeah. lot. And that's the magic. That's where it all starts. We, we find these little specks of gold that the relationship of the dog and the kid uh, start to produce. And then we mine that gold and we make it more and more and we give more and more value to good behaviour and we reward all those good behaviours. Hey, mm. mate, I love how you patted the dog just then. Hey, I loved how you got the dog to sit just then. I loved how you went through the, the processes of getting your dog to be uh, by your side on a loose lead with kindness. You start to mine that gold. And soon enough, if you ignore bad behaviour and reward good behaviour, you get really, really good habits that are hard to break. And then, hey, presto, you've got an amazing human ready for life. 
Wow. I mean, that's amazing, mate. That's amazing. Because, yeah. look, I mean, I've had dogs since I was, I think, 14, and dogs just give you unconditional love if they're treated well. And yep. they'll always be there. They'll always be happy to see you. So bonding a child with a dog who's been through a rough time, what a great experience because they're learning to live with a dog, take care of it. It's not all about them. It's about something else. And that's truly incredible. Yeah. And then from the dog, I mean, we get out and we get about, we go right around Australia. We could be working on stations doing sheep herding. I mean, sheep herding is phenomenal for a brain of a young person that doesn't have perspective. And when I talk about perspective, it's like, if I do this, how is it going to affect others? And sometimes the kids that we deal with, no, not, not sometimes, mo- not most, all the time, the kids that come to us don't yeah. have, I want that, so I'll take it, is their thought process. Yeah. I want to go there, so I'll go there. And that's, that's what they do, whereas most of us, uh, when we get to adulthood, we have this perspective. Well, I can't take that because I didn't earn enough money to purchase it. I can't just take a house yeah. on the east uh, seaboard because I wanted, I don't have $4 million. So I can't yeah. have it. Um, so sheep herding gives p- perspective because you've got a mob of sheep, you've got a kid on this side, you've got a dog on that side. The kid has to cue the dog to do all sorts of different behaviors, to work as a single unit, to work as a single team, but the, everything's the opposite. So it br- builds this part of the brain of perspective and then they can understand what it's like to be another person. What's it like when I say, fuck you, you fucking asshole bastard. Well, I know what that's like. Or what's it like to have something of yours taken away? That part of the brain suddenly develops so that they start to realise, I can't just take what I want and I can't just be abusive and I can't um, hurt others. I certainly shouldn't be hurting myself. So the dogs build all of that. Plus they give us an opportunity to perform. So we do amazing dog sports like dog high jump or dog dogs. So they're performing with their best mate. And these are kids that often have got such extreme anxiety that they couldn't even go to class because yeah. they were freaked out about, about being with other kids, let alone in front of a massive audience. Yeah. So the dog helps them overcome the confidence barriers, which probably would have inhibited their ability to get a job for the entire life. But here they are in front of 30,000 people in a stadium or in an arena performing with their dog and waving to an adoring crowd. I mean, the dogs give us the ability to do so much. It's not just a simple, let's pat the dog or read to the dog. We do so much with the dogs around Australia. Plus, they uh, do bushfire recovery fencing. We've, we've done kilometre after kilometre after kilometre of uh, repairing people's fences, got wiped out by the bushfires. We're helping with flood recovery in our local region. We um, make food for people that can't afford food because a big part of our program is generosity. So it's mastery, which is getting the skills in carpentry, in uh, metal fabrication, horticulture, agriculture, um, you name it. We do a lot of mastery skills, but also generosity um, as well in the idea of, of giving back. And uh, all of it's part of a big circle of courage that is a big part of, uh, of who we are. And connection, obviously, we give kids connection. And it starts with their relationship with the dog, but then we expand it out. And we have a brotherhood. Even though we have girls in our program, we have a real good brotherhood, which negates that need that the kids have to join a gang. And we know some of the things that can go wrong when a kid joins a gang because they're, they're desperately seeking that family that they An probably acceptance. Have. Yeah. 
Yeah, so look, I mean, all those things that you're teaching kids is just phenomenal. And and like you said, I guess also with the other with the other uh, participants, they're learning to work with them as well, and learning to be in a group environment where it's not all about just me. I have to work within these other people. Yeah, yeah, they understand in group dynamics. When you're going to get a job in a workplace, you've got to get along yeah. for the greater good. And yeah. we know that teamwork makes the dream work. And so we're creating this idea of working in a team, having cohesion. You may not get along with everyone, but you can't tell someone to go fuck themselves and punch them in the face just because you didn't get along for five minutes. Yeah, You've got to have all of these skills to get along in life. And um, I think there's so many people in the Western world that don't realise that there are so many kids that have fallen through these cracks and just don't have these skills that we take for granted because of our privilege. You know, yeah. I'm... The PCYC now, and um, which I suppose is like a YMCA for any uh, Northern Hemisphere people watching. It's a privilege to play sport. It's a privilege to be able to do all of these group cohesion, um, mind-building things and having a, a family that actually gets along because the kids that often I'm dealing with have no concept of this group-forming um, behaviours because they haven't had the privilege of doing sport or having a family that all gets along and travels and meets each other. Yeah, so I guess in other ways as well, they've never known someone to love or care about them. And through this program, not only are they getting love and affection from a dog, they're getting it from you and the staff that are working with you uh, and from the other participants. And, I mean, that's a phenomenal thing to do because I was just reading statistics earlier on uh, men and what the three top ones, uh, top reasons for men dying are and the second one was suicide and I've done a couple of podcasts on suicide and it tends to be with boys that if they're bullied um, if they're trying to work out their sexuality and there was a third one and I can't remember what it is now but they're three things that yeah <laughs> what's that Probably relationship breakdown in my experience. It uh, could be. But, you know, those three things compounded at an age, say, 14 to 20, because at 20 we're still developing how we are and who we are as a person. So, you know, at that stage we can't afford to lose men, young men, uh, because of lack of, I guess, funding or, or um, mental health things. So what you're doing is actually filling in to those places where they can't get in to see a counsellor. And as you say, with privilege, you might be able to afford to have a psychologist. Some of these kids haven't got that opportunity, have they? And you're giving them the opportunity to grow and create something new for themselves. Absolutely. But it's not just a psychologist. It's, it's that whole thing that comes with privilege. Yeah. If a parent gets up in the morning, makes sure that everyone's okay, makes sure that everyone gets to where they need to go, and also goes to work. You know, that whole simple, you think about your normal routine of a morning. Yeah. Imagine doing that. Imagine just waking up and having bongs or doing ice, you know, and or someone coming over and flogging the shit out of you or the police turning up at all hours of the night because of whatever. I mean, the disruption that a lot of these kids deal with is so alien, so foreign to people of privilege and... I grew up with incredible privilege. I grew up on a station so far away from a town that I didn't even know towns existed until I was nine years old and went away to boarding school. Wow. You know, I grew up with incredible privilege and, and we've got to acknowledge if we know where we are sleeping at night, if we are not hungry, that's privilege. 
Yeah. And we've got to accept what it can be like if you don't have those things. And it doesn't matter. There is no colour concept here when it comes to these kids that uh, have fallen through the cracks. Um, they come from any background. It just simply, the one thing that they all have in common is lack of that flexible safety net that uh, we all need to be able to work and get through to adulthood. And thrive and feel good about yourself. Have that self-esteem that you've achieved something and you're not a bad person. Everything that's happened to you is outside of you and now we can help re, re, uh, ha- help put you back together in a way that you can move on and ha- have a great life. Uh, so if people wanted to donate, is that an option to donate to Rough Track? Yeah, absolutely. Look, big part of what we do at Rough Track is in encourage the kids and inspire the kids, but also show the kids to make their own fortune. So we do a lot of work to get paid, therefore, to be able to run the organisation. I mean, there was a big part there during COVID where we weren't able to do any of that, so we were just picking up cans. And it was a $0.10 cent, uh, return and earn that we wow. were actually program it costs about six thousand dollars every week just to keep the doors open uh of our program um so you can go to roughtrack.com and it's r-u-f-f-t-r-a-c-k.com and you can um donate from anywhere in the world we're very fortunate to have a lot of supporters in the united states and right across australia and we have people that give us ten thousand dollars and we have people that give us ten dollars each month and it uh, keeps food in the kids bellies and obviously has that really highly qualified staff all around them to give them the skills that they need to be able to have that incredible life that um, so many of us just take for granted. Uh, Look, I just want to finish on two things for you. Uh, So what are you hopeful for in the future, not just for you, but for the world? What's something that you really think would would benefit everybody? Look, the, the biggest thing is, like what I do is I... I'm a very loud, very full-on, very confident man. And I take a lot of space, but I get the kick out of backing away and allowing that face to be spilled by, filled by others. And uh, so I'm a, a space creator. I create new spaces and I allow the others to fill those. So with Rough Track, my whole job is to do myself out of a job. Yeah. And that is that the young people are going to come through and take over and I'm going to then have to go and find a new career. And I don't, I'm not deluded to think that we can solve all issues of, of uh, kids that have fallen through the cracks in yes. Western. However, we can be part of the cog. So, yeah, that's my big thing is create a space and then vacate the space for others to fill. And I think it's imperative upon any of us once we have the apparatus to allow us to get through our lives successfully, well, then we need to do whatever we can to help others strengthen the apparatus below and beneath and around them so they can live their best lives. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. I had a conversation with a psychologist about 10 years ago and, and she said, so why did you do counselling and what do you get out of it? And I said, look, I get loads out of it by listening to stories, helping people have those aha moments where they discover something for themselves. But what I'd really like to see is in 10, 20, 50 years' time, there's no psychologists, no counsellors, because we've all learnt to communicate well with each other and that everybody, if they've got an issue, they just go to their friend and their friend is able to help them with it rather than have to go and see someone and pay. So I would like all our jobs to be 
gone. Not at the moment. If you're listening and you're a psychologist, I want you to keep your job. But, you know, I want us to all make everybody better. So not better, but be able to find it in themselves that they feel better, that then they don't need these sort of services. And that would be great if everybody was self-sufficient and be able to work on their own selves. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, that whole idea of supporting each other through whatever it is that we're going through. Yeah. And look, I'm going to ask you one last question about Big Brother. What was the best part of Big Brother this year? And it can't be Reggie because we all know you love Reggie. (laughs) Absolutely adore Reggie. My answer is Reggie, 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 Reggie. Um, The best thing out of Big Brother is I learned to take a break. And those of us that work in in the social sphere or youth work or um, the space of the head, we are really bad at taking our own advice. Um, so yeah. for two years, I worked nonstop uh, keeping the kids alive, keeping them out of prison and giving them the skills that they needed to um, to get back into the uh, the world and society that is. Um, so Big Brother was my first break. Like I, it literally, for the first three weeks, I was just breathing and going, wow, this is what not working and not supporting kids looks like. So since then, I've taken... Every single um, week, I've taken time out for myself, and it may have just been a few hours, or it could be a whole day. But uh, but learning to take a break so that um, I'm not just full on every day pouring from the same cup. And that's great. And I'm glad you said that because I've just started doing the same thing. I was finding I was working full time. I was doing some looking after my mum with Parkinson's. I'm a um, a guardian to two young men with uh, intellectual disabilities. I'm doing the podcast. I was doing lives on Instagram. And I just went, hold on a minute. I need to have some time. And do you know what? Big Brother has been a good thing for me because I can just sit back, watch it, and not think of anything. I'm not saying it's mindless, but, you know, it's something you don't have to focus on. You can just watch it and get involved. Yep, yep. 100%. That's the cool thing about, uh, well, any reality TV show, it's it's you can follow along a bit and you can tune in or tune out, but the main thing is it gives your brain a break. Look, Dave, it's been absolutely brilliant and it's been an honour to hear about your life. I'm glad you came on. I'm so uh, excited and proud of what you're doing with Rough Track. That's amazing because uh, if we can all help a little bit in any way we can to help kids, people with disability, older people to get have a better life, th- then we're doing something that is really important. Yeah, Daniel, well, thank you. And um, I think we got this podcast in before it went completely dark. Yeah, I have to say that Dave is actually sitting in a bus and it, it's dark. I can see the sky behind him. So he's got a little light on so I can see who he is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave. It was brilliant. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, mate. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.